I, a female, was in the seventh grade, I would experience nausea, vomiting, and extreme sleepiness after spending the night at the house of this particular friend. Let's call her Erin. This friend, also female, lived with her parents and her brother, who was five years older than us. After five or six times experiencing these symptoms, my mom apparently noticed a pattern and sat me down to ask if I was drinking alcohol at Aaron's house. I remember laughing at the question because I had never even tasted alcohol at that point in my life, but my mom's question was super serious. I told her no, and I thought that Aaron's multitude of rodent pets made me feel sick. This sounded suspicious to my mom, so she didn't let me spend the night at Aaron's house anymore, but I was still allowed to spend the night at my other friends' houses. One night, I was with a group of friends and we had a movie night at Aaron's house. Then we went to spend the night at my friend Sarah's house, where I had slept over many times without experiencing any problems. The next morning, I came home sick. Nausea, vomiting, extreme sleepiness, and my mom took me to the doctor to get checked out. She told the doctor that she believed me when I said that I hadn't been drinking alcohol, but given my hangover symptoms, wanted to be sure. Apparently the doctor was incredulous and ran a blood alcohol test on me, which came back at zero. The doctor also said that they could test my blood for GHB and Rohypnol, but that if I had ingested the substance, it would no longer be detectable in my blood. Given the circumstances, he informed my mother that I was likely drugged at Aaron's house, since that was the only commonality preceding all my symptoms. There wasn't enough evidence to show who drugged me or press any charges, so my mom just banned me from Aaron's house. I stopped going to Aaron's house completely, and I haven't experienced these symptoms ever since. After about two months of not going to Aaron's house, her brother messaged me on Facebook and asked why I never came around anymore. He told me that he had recorded some things on his DVR that I would like, so I should come over to watch him. I didn't know what to say, so I just deleted my Facebook. I never told my parents about that message, but in hindsight, Aaron's older brother was most likely preying on me. In February of 2012, I went to visit my grandfather's grave for his birthday. His death was a really hard thing for me to deal with, as he had passed away in March of 2011, and it was still very fresh to me. I was kneeling in front of his grave with my head down, mourning and crying, when my body went into full, danger is nearby mode. I looked up to see a man running full sprint from the woods surrounding the cemetery, and forced myself to get back to my truck as quickly as possible, without the man getting close to me. But by the time I had made it to my truck, he had gotten about 20 feet away. I jumped in, locked the door, much to his apparent displeasure. He threw his hands up in a huff like his favorite team had just lost a football game. I started the truck up and began to drive out as fast as I could, but not before driving right past him. I didn't break eye contact for a second, and neither did he. So I got a really good look at his face. Cut to a few years later. I'm at work bored and decided to download an app that had a ton of paranormal, cryptid, serial killer, and UFO articles. As I was browsing through the serial killers, I came across one that made my heart drop into my ass. Israel Keys, most known for murdering an underage girl in Alaska, dismembering her body, and dropping the pieces into a frozen lake. He would bury kill kits all over the United States that would remain hidden, sometimes for years before returning to them and committing his crimes. After the incident in Alaska, he had traveled into Texas for a wedding in a city not too far from where I lived and had disappeared for a bit with none of his family knowing where he was. 
He was ultimately arrested in that city and brought to the prison one city over from me before he was extradited back to Alaska to stand trial. About a year ago, I found a book about him that has provided me a lot of the details that I now know. He had been killing for years, and no one knows what the actual death toll is. He eventually did the same to himself in prison. At the end of the book about him, he describes some of his favorite places to abduct people. Public parks, nature trails, and cemeteries. I know for a fact that this is the man that I came face to face with, and I often wonder if there's a kill kit buried in those woods. You were fast, Israel, but I was faster, and I'm glad that we never actually got to meet. When I was 14, I was asked to babysit my three younger cousins, aged 8, 4, and 1, in an extremely rural, mountainous part of Pennsylvania. My aunt and uncle had a wedding to go to that was over an hour away, and they wouldn't be back until very late. Their house was situated on a steep mountainside. Their back deck had a 15-foot drop onto a rocky hill below, leading down to a river. Their closest neighbors were about half a mile away, with the closest main road also being about a mile away. And at night, there were no lights to be seen anywhere around them. Basically, it was a middle-of-nowhere situation, and you would have to know where you're going to get there. You don't just accidentally end up there. My aunt and uncle left us with some pizza and their cell phone number next to the landline. This was the early 2000s, and I didn't have a cell phone, but even if I did, I wouldn't get reception out there anyway. The baby was already asleep. The four-year-old wasn't feeling well and was quietly watching TV in the living room as he dozed off. The eight-year-old and I were playing Guitar Hero up in the loft. The loft overlooked the living room to the left, where I could keep an eye on the four-year-old, and there was a huge window that overlooked the driveway to the right. This description of the driveway is an important detail to the story. The road that led to their house ran straight into their forked driveway. It was a dead-end road. The house was as far as you could go. Go to the left driveway. There is a large open carport, and that's where my aunt and uncle, and anyone that visited, would park. The right driveway led down a very short but very steep hill to a large, leveled-out area that ended against the garage door that opened to the basement of the house. It was never used as a garage, but served as my uncle's man cave and where he spent most of his time. Right beside the garage door, a normal door with a window so you can see right in. But this driveway was exclusively used by the kids as a play area because it was the only flat, yard-like area on the property, and being on the mountainside, there isn't much room to safely play otherwise. No cars ever drove down there. Ever. There are too many toys and bikes in the way, and friends and family all knew this. It was about 10 p.m., pitch black outside, no moon to illuminate the area either. My cousin and I were still playing Guitar Hero when headlights caught the corner of my eye and not my aunt's minivan headlights. Huge truck headlights with those roof lights you often see on Jeeps or other off-road trucks. Not only that, the truck was going down the right driveway, the kids' play area. This was not my aunt or uncle. This was not anyone that they knew. Panic and dread filled my body. I was a small teenage girl alone in an isolated house on a mountain at night with three children in my care. 
In a terrified voice, I asked my cousin, Who is that? Jake, do you know whose truck that is? He looked up at me almost in panic. No, I've never seen that truck before. I quickly ushered him downstairs, still unsure what to do, but the two little ones were sleeping down there, and I wanted to make sure that they were safe. I checked on the baby, and then grabbed the phone to call 911, and then I started to hear the metal garage door being shaken violently. No one ever opened that garage door. More panic fills me. I hear them try the door beside it, the metal doorknob jiggling. No one was actually knocking. It's not like they were checking to see if my uncle was down there. Plus, the lights were out. It was dark down there. They knew no one was down there. They were definitely breaking in. The door leading to the basement steps was right next to the phone, so I could clearly hear all of this going on. I quickly turned the little lock on the doorknob, just in case they did make it into the basement. My heart was practically jumping out of my chest. I'm talking to the 911 dispatcher, as my eight-year-old cousin clings to my arm. The operator is calm and trying to calm me, but I knew it would be at least 30 minutes until a police officer could get up there, assuming that they didn't get lost on this mountain in the pitch dark. I just kept thinking, we're done for. We're dead. This is how I'm going to die. The operator asked for the number my aunt and uncle left me so she could have another dispatcher call them to let them know the situation. I turned around to grab the paper with the number on it, and to my absolute horror, I see a man peering in the large sliding glass door. A huge, burly man. Had to be at least 6'4", with long scraggly red hair and a big red bushy beard. And what made it worse? He was grinning at me. Grinning in a way that still scares me to this day. Meanwhile, I had to have looked like a terrified deer in headlights. I was shaking so hard that I could barely hold onto the phone. There was a second man behind him that I couldn't quite see. I have no idea what he looked like, but he was equally as tall, albeit a bit more lanky than the larger man at the sliding glass door. I screamed, Oh God, they're here. And before the 911 operator can say anything, my eight-year-old cousin goes, Mr. Jim? His voice was very confused. It wasn't like my cousin was happy or even relieved to see him. I asked, you know who that is? But before my cousin can answer, I turned my attention to the man at the door. I'm on the phone with the police, I shouted. I'm grateful he didn't try that door because I don't even think it was locked. The man stared at me hard for a moment, eyebrows furrowed, like deciding what he wanted to do next. But he then just backed away into the darkness. What seemed like an eternity later, I saw the truck lights back out of the driveway and then back down the road until they disappeared. I was still scared beyond belief, and so was my cousin. He had only met that guy a few times, an acquaintance of his dad. It wasn't like it was a close family friend though. Obviously, because again, he went down the wrong driveway, and visitors never go down that way. The 911 operator asked for a description of the man, then told me that they'd gotten in touch with my aunt and uncle, and they were on their way home. She stayed on the phone with me until a police officer showed up a bit later to make sure that the men were gone, and they stayed with us until my aunt and uncle got home so that they could ask some questions. My uncle was furious, not at me for calling them home early, but at this Mr. Jim guy. He muttered something like, I'm gonna f*** him up. 
My aunt was mad at my uncle and told him to tell Jim to never come back again. I didn't know at the time, but my uncle had a major drug problem. I don't know what Mr. Jim or his accomplice were doing or what they would have done if I wasn't on the phone with the police, but that grin was not a friendly one. It was sinister. And again, he also had to have known that my uncle was not there because the basement was dark. He would have seen through the windowed basement door. He had also tried lifting the garage door, something that not even my uncle did. He intended to break into the basement, and that much is clear to me. There is no other explanation. I never did babysit for them again. In fact, I don't think I ever even went back up there, because not long after, my aunt and uncle decided to sell that property and start again somewhere new. This time, a property that has a big, strong gate on it.